Welcome back to the Snowball Podcast. I'm your host, Jogram. With me is Aizen. Yeah, I sing underscore K. And Ye. At For The Glory. F-O-R-T-H-A-G-L-O-R-Y. This is a men-focused podcast where we talk about life and current issues as men. We do so with all facts, no, no fiction. fiction. No fiction. Podcast comes out every Thursday, 3 p.m. West African, 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Anchor, Apple, Google, Breaker, Pocket Cast, and every other place. Yeah. You can follow the podcast at Sango Brothers on Twitter. Leave a comment with hashtag Sango Brothers. So, welcome back, guys. We have a special guest on today's podcast. Colin Flaherty is an award winning, best selling author. He has written several books and award-winning stories in newspapers the world over. His most notable works include White Girl Bleed A Lot, Knockout Game, Don't Make the Black Kids Angry. He also wrote Redwood to Deadwood, a must-read for American travelers. One of his groundbreaking stories was key in securing the acquittal of a wrongfully convicted black man called Kevin Wiley. Colin has written, spoken, and shown more words to expose the hoax of white racism and black victimization than any author in the world. He holds the distinction of accomplishing this without racism, rancor, or apology. His videos have amassed more than 200 million views across YouTube, Minds, BeatShoot, and every other video hosting website. Colin is also known for the Monument Militia, which protects American history, culture, and future. You can find Colin on Twitter, MindBeatShoot, at Colin Flaherty. Support Colin directly by visiting ColinFlaherty.com to buy his books, download his podcast, listen to the music, and merchandise. Your support is greatly appreciated. Colin is a very good friend to me and to the podcast and i would love my audience to understand from listening to colin how to talk colin what strikes me about colin is that colin speaks only to facts he doesn't use hypotheticals he doesn't use what-if scenarios he only speaks on things that have happened. He does not prognosticate. He does not predict the future. Therefore, he is never wrong. Because that's the only way you can avoid being wrong You can when you speak about a thing that you can show. So he doesn't just tell you about the violence. He shows you the violence. And it is on this principle that this very podcast is grounded. So, it is my deepest honor and the greatest privilege to welcome Colin back to the podcast. So, here's Colin. And you will definitely hear more of him on this podcast because as many people as possible need to listen to what Colin has to say. Thank you all so much for your support. Please support Colin at colinflyheader.com to get his books, the most illuminating books you can find out there on media studies and black crime 
Take it away, Colin. You have offended me. You have offended me. Well, the Jews, they just don't care. They've got bounds of success and refuse to share. People are always forgetting the punchline of the so-called Stockholm Syndrome. You've probably heard of it, right? I think it's named after a bank, some bank robbers in Stockholm. So people went in there, they robbed the bank, they took hostages, and after a while, the hostages started sticking up for the, the bank robbers. The people who were bank robbers were basically saying, hey, let us out, or we're going to kill the hostages. Then the hostages started, so, so why are the hostages sticking up for the bank robbers? Well, they discovered that the psychological mechanism at work is that the hostages were so grateful that these people who had all these this power of life and death over them, they were very magnanimous by, by not killing them. That's the Stockholm Syndrome. You sympathize with your captors, with the people who are hurting you, because you know they could have done a whole hell of a lot worse. No use, it's your destiny I'll never stop talking about slavery Even though no one was there including you and me Oh, you have offended me We're going to veer back into our lane here for a minute But I saw this time and time again over the last couple days So uh, Trump decided to take out, kill that guy, the Iranian general, who's been responsible for a lot of military and terrorist operations against Americans all over the world. And they got this, this woman. I think she's a, I actually think she's a congresswoman now. Yes, yeah, she is. She's a first-term member of Congress. And she worked in one of our 8 million intelligence agencies. And she's sitting there explaining to us why we haven't killed that guy before. Because everybody was going, hey, why would we kill him now? He was not any imminent danger. And the woman comes forward and says, yeah, I was in the room when they were having those discussions. I worked that desk inside these various intelligence agencies. And our thinking always was, if we killed that Iranian general, the Iranians would retaliate against us. And we don't want the re Iranians re retaliating against us. Isn't that totally strange? The world's greatest military power, we're sitting there cringing in the face of somebody who has just a fraction of what we have to do, yet we are afraid of them. Now, I didn't mean to kind of veer off into our lane and get us into a topic of you know what we should or shouldn't be doing with these Iranian generals, but I just wanted to see, wanted to to point out this mechanism of the Stockholm syndrome. Going, oh my God, the Iranians are going to they're going to do something bad to us. Well, they're already been doing bad things to us in 1979 when they took over our embassy. Why didn't anybody from Iran go? Oh my God, we can't do that. The Americans will go ape shit on us. Would the Iranians say? We don't give a damn what the Americans think. That's the Stockholm Syndrome. So let's flash forward back to the present, back to Kansas City just for a moment. Large groups of black people coming from nearby housing projects, um, they, they meet and greet and have large, create large episodes of violence, mayhem, chaos, worse. 
at the Country Club Plaza in Kansas City. I mean, this was the thing. It still is a thing. We've done lots of stories on it, lots of videos on it. My one I remember the most is the cop holding like a fire extinguisher full of tear gas and just spraying it out over the crowd. Anyway, it just kept happening. And every, you know, they got a new, they got a new police chief and he said, yeah, I'm going to take care of that. And they got a new mayor, Sly Fox. He said, I'm going to take care of that within six months. Just kept happening, just kept getting worse. So finally, they went to get the old mayor. He was back in town. His name is Emmanuel Cleaver. They went to get the old mayor and they said, hey, Emmanuel Cleaver, you're a congressman now, but used to be a mayor around here. You're still kind of a big wig in Kansas City. They're thinking about putting a curfew on anybody in the Kansas City, in the country club plaza, because they can't stop the violence there. That is when Emmanuel Cleaver uttered his now famous, infamous words that should be entered into the Stockholm Syndrome Hall of Fame. All we're going to do is make a lot of black kids angry. Let's not do anything to make the black kids angry. No, this is not my sign-off, but that's where we got it from. You guys know that. So the fellas in Kansas City are going, we're going crazy every weekend. And the only reason that Cleaver didn't want to do anything to him is because he he thought, well, you know what? If if we start you know cracking down on them, then they're really going to do start doing something. Well, they're already doing something. We don't have any alternative but to uh, oppose them and resist them. And we see that here in this country all the time. The number of people who have given up on the whole idea of resisting this tidal wave, the tsunami of black violence. Because now it's all just one big happy family where, you know, we got a, we got like a, a, a rowdy brother-in-law that gets out of control once in a while. And what are you going to do? Can't change him. I was thinking about the Stockholm Syndrome when I, this, over, the, over this weekend, over the last 72 hours, there have been at least three memorials for victims of black crime, violence, and murder. The first one is a weird memorial. It happened over the weekend, and it was a march. I think they marched into Brooklyn. They marched into some park. Then they had like 10,000 to 25,000 people. They had speakers there. Everybody was all pissed off because of the, the violence directed at Jewish people in New York City. But if you listen to the speeches, and if you listen to everybody who was there... You would think that the Jewish people are going around like hurting themselves because not one person that I saw, I looked at four, the four local network news accounts and I read the New York Times, not one news outlet mentioned one thing about what they were all doing there. And what they were all doing there is somehow, I don't even know what, what were they doing there. No fear, you know, no uh, something, no fear, whatever the hell they're saying here. Solidarity March was held across thousands of people took a stand against a recent series of anti-Semitic incidents in our area. The Solidarity March was held across the Brooklyn Bridge and was organized as a massive show of support for the local Jewish communities and to send a message of no hate, no fear. We're in a transition in our society where this stuff is becoming commonplace. It never has been, and it's a horrible thing to be complacent about it. Mayor de Blasio, Governor Cuomo, they were among the politicians who took part in this march. The governor said the state will provide some $45 million in additional funding to protect religious-based institutions against hate crimes. Not one person mentioned it was black on Jewish violence. 
The New York Times even went down to the bottom of the story and they reminded people that, yeah, somehow somebody put up a a banner that was purported to be part of a white nationalist group. They didn't tell us who put the banner up, what the banner said. We're just supposed to take the New York Times word for it. And we, of course, we can trust the New York Times because from from even a casual reading of the Times, here's what you learn about race in America. That black people are relentless victims of relentless white racism all the time, everywhere. That explains everything. Oh, and sometimes it's even worse than that. A couple of weeks ago, a month or so ago, a couple of black girls accused a kid from India, or at least his parents were from India. They said this kid from India pissed on them at a high school football game. The New York Times ran a huge commentary from a some from black academic who said, well, even though the people who pissed on the black girls were not really white, this is just an example of how white uh, white supremacy spreads because, see, you see, white people are doing this all the time, all over the country. Yeah, you know, white guys just walk down the street. And every time they see a black chick or a black person, they just take out their junk and start pissing on them. Yeah, that's a white thing. That's in the New York Times. Two weeks later, everybody figured out, Oh, yeah, nobody pissed on anybody. Sorry about that. New York Times never ran a retraction. So if all you know about the New York from is reading the paper of record, you would know that the white people are always picking on the fellas. And the New York Times figured out that they had to make a reference to white supremacy in a story that nobody else would mention, nobody else would say. It was, the story was really that black people are targeting Jewish people in New York City, and they've been doing it for a whole long time. And the people they got to sit at the front of the parade, march at the front of the parade, the governor, a couple of senators, they are the people in charge of the denial, deceit, and delusion who are with the uh, the the anti defamation league. I mean, they would jump off the Empire State Building before they would sit there and admit they have a problem with black on Jewish crime in New York City. That's just not going to happen. Thank God we've got so many videos. Victims, 911 calls, police reports, witnesses that are documenting this day after day after day. Some people, sometimes cops get arrested. Sometimes, sometimes cops arrest somebody. Sometimes they don't. Not one person is going to stand up and go, hmm, fellas are targeting Jewish. It's because the Jewish people in New York City feel as if they call out the fellas for this this anti-Jewish hatred. Somehow the fellas will get angry and take it out on them. It's a little bit too late to worry about that. I mean, we've been documenting for a while how much the fellas are not really into our Jewish brothers. No, they don't like them one damn bit. They don't really care who they tell either. And it's not just the pattern of the violence. It's what people say during these crimes. It's what people say in popular black culture, popular black literature, popular black music. Not hard to find anti-Semitic stuff in there, but the Jews are just deathly afraid. We can't make the black kids angry. Oh my God! What will what, we do if they get angry? What will they do if they get angry at us? They might get mean. They might start attacking us. They might start robbing us. They might start killing us. They might start scorning us at every opportunity and just harassing us all the time. That's what's happening now. We can't get anybody to say it except for 
This one guy just came out with a video just a day or so ago. His name's Ami Horowitz. He took his cameras to the streets of Brooklyn and a miracle happened. We got somebody putting a camera into the face of black people in New York City and letting them describe the way they feel about their Jewish brothers and sisters. Hours, we spoke with local residents as to why they think African-Americans in Brooklyn might be attacking Jews. What's going on? What do you think is going on? You know what I think is going on? Because it seems like I'm not being a racist or anti-Semitic. But Whenever someone starts with, I'm not anti-Semitic, but, you know, whatever comes next, it's not going to be good. It seems like the Jewish um, people own all the buildings out here. And they own everything, and they're not sharing nothing. They own everything. They're, they're, they're coming over here. They're taking over. And but they're not renting it back to us. See, they're kicking us out. And I don't want to go back to World War II with Hitler and all that. But Also, when you say Hitler and butt in the same sentence, that's never good. It seems like they own all the property. Mm-hmm. And we don't, they don't even try to help us. We're not saying that it's right, but uh, yeah, they're trying to take over our buildings and stuff. They're trying to make everything more exclusive for us. And Jewish is known to be rich for Brooklyn. Right. So, you know, of course, you so know. Is that, is that a reason why you think the attacks are happening? That is why the attacks are happening. The have and have not. Right. That doesn't mean that's the majority thought over here. Not everybody in this neighborhood has a problem with Jews. I really think you're insulting African Americans by being in this neighborhood and asking that question. The blacks are doing this to the Jews just to get by. It's not right. It's not right. I taught my children love. Love conquers all. They're controlling all the jobs, the economic growth, and the community. Coming from their country you know they not into our power. country, and they're trying to change up our country to how they live. They're going to get the money from here, and they're going to send the money to the country. Which, so which country? Not, not, in, not, not, country? In, not in the United That's States. That's not their country? No. So you think the Jews here are not really American? they not. So black people would have reason to attack Jews? I wouldn't say they have reason to, but... It is understandable because everybody taking from us. And that's how I feel. Okay, three, two, one, on cue. Oh, that guy's just cherry picking black people. You know, this whole cherry picking thing is such a canard. So we know what the numbers are. The numbers, remember, the numbers are not reality. The numbers always just point us in the direction of reality. And the people who run these police departments have already told us how heavily invested they are in not having the numbers be too big. But the numbers point us at a reality. Sometimes that becomes so stark that even the cops, the people who run the police departments, even they can't, even they can't wish it away. So now we got this guy takes his camera on the streets of New York and the fellas are telling the truth and everybody wants to pretend that there's something other going on here than what is really going on, which is we caught some fellas being honest about what black people think about Jewish people. This isn't the first time fellas have said something like that. Meantime in New Jersey, across the river from Philadelphia, Monday night they had a big memorial for the what Jerry Pastore, Jerry Pastore, the white owner of a delicatessen, just a little Italian delicatessen and across the bridge in Philly, where you can make a good living, not a great living, you can make a good living there 
14-year-old fella comes in, steals the tip jar. Jerry chases him. The fella takes a knife out and kills Jerry. Tonight, they're having a memorial ceremony for him. And if the memorial service for Jerry Pastore runs true to form, or if it runs true to one they just had in Oakland, California, over the weekend, another memorial service for another victim of black violence, this time an Asian guy, I'm sure at the Jerry Pastore Memorial, we're going to hear all about what a great guy he was. Good family man, good businessman, good person to be around. People in the community liked him, and now he's gone because some fella thought what that something belonged to Jerry belonged to him. And Jerry, just like the just like the Jews in Brooklyn. Jerry didn't really want to share his success with that little fella riding a bicycle, did he? That's who killed Jerry. Or this Chinese guy we're about ready to hear about, he didn't want to share his success from the two fellas with long criminal records that went into a Starbucks and stole his computer. Then when he grabbed onto their car, they killed him with their car. Here at home, hundreds of people turned out today to remember an Oakland man who was killed while chasing after thieves who stole his laptop from a Starbucks in the Montclair neighborhood. 34-year-old Shua Zhang died on his birthday after he was dragged by a getaway car attempting to retrieve his computer that was filled with his life's work. KTV's Lee Martinez was there today and is here now with more on what happened. Yes, well, the memorial grew out of community outreach on the social media site Nextdoor. Now, several people, including family, shared stories of Shua, and each story was like getting a gut check for many in attendance, and that illustrated the impact of his loss. Hundreds of people, from work colleagues and friends to strangers, gathered outside the Montclair Starbucks to grieve the loss of 34-year-old Shua Zhang, who was tragically killed fighting back during a robbery. In our generation, um, we have the one-child policy, so um, both me and Shua are the one-child. But um, I always think that um, I'm not like that because um, I always have Shua, who's my my older brother. Last Tuesday was Shua's birthday. He spent the day working on his laptop at the Starbucks on Mountain Boulevard when a man grabbed his laptop. Shua ran after the thief but was dragged by the getaway car and suffered severe head trauma. He died a few feet from the Starbucks. How many of us would have done the same thing? The fact that he stood up for himself. I'm great. I'm so deeply sorry that he paid the ultimate price for that. Shua graduated from Kansas State and became a gifted research scientist at IBM Aspera. How many people are here that he asked, how is your country? How is your family? How are your kids? Anybody else looking forward to Starbucks closing for a day or two or three to retrain their employees about how to deal with all the black crime and violence happening in a Starbucks? Oh, you think this is the first time someone was killed in a Starbucks? First time a fella killed somebody in the commission of stealing a computer? First Asian to die? Ask your barista. Hey, what's the uh, percentage of fellas who are committing the crime in Starbucks? They'll pretend like that's a question they never heard of. Maybe it is. Here's the answer. Overwhelmingly out of proportion. Look, I don't think we need we don't need to turn memorial ceremonies into into political rallies where people will start talking about the greatest lie of our generation. I get that. But also we're not being served when during these incidents everybody looks so turns away from the obvious. 
that black crime and violence and murder is now just a thing that everybody somehow is bought into in this country, just like our crazy uncle at Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, he doesn't bother anybody. Let him go. He'll sleep it off. Yeah, we got, we got a couch. We'll put him on the couch. We'll wake him in the morning. He'll be okay then, boy. He's going to be he's gonna be really surprised when he hears what he did at the Thanksgiving Day dinner yesterday. And everybody laughs. That's how we treat the fellas in this country. We just cover up for them as if we're, as if they're the alcoholic and we're somehow the enablers. Well, the fellas didn't do nothing. They're not responsible for this wave of crime and violence. No, the fellas, he was on the couch with the flu. No, that's just Colin cherry picking. That's just that dude, Ami Horowitz in Brooklyn cherry picking. No, you could have, you could have gotten a thousand videos of white people doing the exact same thing, picking on the fellas, picking on this, picking on that. Yeah, I'd give them to you, except, you know, I've already committed to washing my hair tonight and reading comic books. So I'll be kind of busy for the next 37 years. Before we leave Brooklyn, let's let's think about that Amy Horowitz audio clip we just heard again. I mean, how many of the... We heard several people on that clip, and at least half of them were giving you the impression that somehow that for some reason... Jewish people had stuff that they were they had to share with black people because somehow they had taken it from black people. And so is that the way it works? I mean, really, I want to know. Do black people just walk around and they experience the world through the lens of race and all they see is stuff that Jewish people and white people have that they took from black people and damn it, every black people on this planet just walks around going, hey, you owe me something. Give me my stuff now that you took from me, that it is mine. Boy, that's exactly what that city councilwoman said in New York City. Black people are all pissed off at Jewish people. They're clunking them over the heads. Because black people feel Jewish people won't share their success. The fact that everybody's saying the same kind of thing, that mean, that kind of tells me it's coming from a common source and if somebody came and gave me a, a video or an audio from the Reverend Louis Farrakhan talking about that exact topic, that would not surprise me in the least. But it was weird. It also gives some context to something that I thought kind of came out of left field, something we did yesterday on the podcast. We had a 38-year-old woman who'd been in Delaware for seven years, all of a sudden, a black woman, and she went to just a regular law school, a regular student, all of a sudden, seven years later, she's a judge on the Delaware State Supreme Court. And one of the first things she said is, I don't feel entitled to be here. I guess that's the classic um, observation on the fellas now. There's a lot of entitlement going on. And we just heard a lot of people confess to it in Brooklyn. And we just heard them talk about what they are going to do if Jewish people keep taking their stuff keep refusing to share their stuff, if they keep taking their buildings, oh yeah, Jewish people are taking black people's buildings, and then they send the money out of the country where it can't help black people, and every single damn thing in this civilization must be geared to somehow giving black people more free stuff. Look, I can't blame a lot of black people for thinking that, as dumb as, as it is. Because that's the message they're getting every day from TV, radio, newspapers, the cable talking heads. 
when you're a relentless victim, you, re you, you, you are entitled to relentless reparations. You have offended me. You have offended me. Well, the Jews, they just don't care. They've got bounds of success and refuse to share. I'll throw rocks at your children and rip out their hair. Cause you have offended me. You have offended me. You have offended me. Calling fouls at a football game. I broke your job, but you're the one to blame. And I can kill you if I think you're lame. Cause you have offended me. Oh yeah. You have offended me. Many folks say that the mainstream media sucks and spreads bullshit amplify. Thank God they do it all for us, cause naive white liberals are on our side. And as the years go by, many of you will die. It's no use, it's your destiny. Stop talking about slavery Even though no one was there Including you and me Oh, you have offended me That's right You have offended me All together now You have offended me Meantime, they want us to believe their fairy tales that crime is not a deal Black crime is not a thing It's not increasing Going down, Colin. It's going way down. Yeah, I'm surprised you haven't noticed, Colin. Well, there's a lot of people in this country who are not alive to notice. How about this old white guy who was killed while out walking his dog down in down near Montgomery, Alabama? We're continuing to follow breaking news out of East Alabama tonight after a man was found shot to death in Hertzboro. Russell County Sheriff Heath Taylor just wrapping up a news conference just moments ago. And our Amy Phillips joins us live from the sheriff's office. So, Amy, lots of information coming out of that news conference this afternoon. Tell us more about what you learned. 63-year-old Randolph Cannon of Hertzboro, Alabama, apparently suffered from multiple gunshot wounds, according to the Russell County Coroner Arthur Sombre Jr. He was pronounced dead at 2.39 this afternoon. He apparently went for a walk with his dog this morning, and his family grew to be concerned about him. And how about this cop? Yeah, the first cop, first cop killed of the year. Yeah, it was a fella. During a traffic stop near an airport, Young white cop pulls over a fella. Now the white cop is dead. The fella was holding the gun. A Florence Regional Airport security officer is dead. Sled officials say 26-year-old Jackson Ryan Winkler of Dillon was killed in the line of duty. Deputies have arrested 37-year-old James Bell in connection to the shooting. Yeah, to me, he ain't doing no wrong. Just out of cop. You know, despite all this enormous level of violence, mayhem, dysfunction. Fill in your own words. I mean, we still get people who pretend it's like it's like not a thing, not even a little bit of a thing anywhere. So we go down to Montgomery, Alabama. And if you ever wanted to know what a, if, what a news story would sound like if it were reported by Michelle Obama, listen to this story about a Piggly Wiggly leaving a black neighborhood 
And what a catastrophe that is. Remember, this neighborhood isn't that far from the neighborhood where the guy just got shot, killed, walking a dog. And everybody's going, man, why is Piggly Wiggly and why are all the other businesses moving out of here? They're turning us into a food desert. North Montgomery grocery stores closing, creating a void of fresh food in a neighborhood. We were notified this week the Piggly Wiggly on Lower Wetumpka Road will be shutting down for good soon. Now, some are worried about the effect it will have on people who live in the neighborhood. There are concerns that those who don't drive won't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. WSFA 12 News reporter Jordan Elston went to investigate. New at 10. I was really shocked and surprised to find out that it had closed. People in the Chisholm community are no longer an easy walking distance to a grocery store. The only source of fresh fruits and veggies, the Piggly Wiggly on Lower Watumka Road, has closed its doors, creating a fresh produce food desert. We're talking about an area of the city where not every single household has access to a vehicle of their own to drive themselves to the grocery store. So it's more important for groceries to be readily accessible by, by foot or either by public transportation. Piggly Wiggly was the only grocery store in the Chisholm community. Now if someone without transportation wants access to fresh produce, they'd have to walk just over two and a half miles, about 45 minutes to the nearest grocery store. In a statement sent to us today, Tracy Larkin, the city council representative for the Chisholm community, expressed his disappointment in the store's closing. He continued to say that the store filled a critical void for citizens and that he believes government must work with private enterprises to find a solution. And members of the community agree. And I'm hoping and praying that we can lobby or find someone or some cooperation that would be available to us to have us. Well, Piggly Wiggly didn't return our calls. So we don't know why they're closing okay let me help you we've done the story with targets and walmarts and other stores all over the country so the people at this news station won't even think for a moment why piggly wiggly had to fold up the doors i mean every one of these companies has a social justice warrior that goes into their corporate offices we've seen this with trader joe's starbucks lots of other people they go in and they go in and say, hey, if we put a Piggly Wiggly inside of a black hood, we're going to get two things. One, we're all going to get rich because there's no competition for many miles around there. And two, we're going to get lots of brownie points in the press because black people are going to love our store and everybody's going to love us because we solved the problem of the food desert. Because the only reason there's not grocery stores in the, in the hood is because of white racism. So that's what the bill of goods, they sell their corporate masters and some of these people just because they're smart in some things it doesn't make them smart in everything and they look at that person and they go my god you're a genius let's get that store open then the place goes under and, it's, and everybody figures out very quietly it's not because of white racism it's because of the enormous level of theft and robbery and the danger it's not just and not just the theft in the stores somebody walking out with a you know, jacket full of hot, of meat products or whatever. They find out that the customers going to their store in the parking lots. Yeah, that's a hunting ground, let alone the people who might want to grab a gr sack or two of groceries and walk back to their house. It's not safe. And it was, isn't it weird how often you and I here have to sit here and talk about the obvious? Isn't it weird how these really smart people, smart enough to run a Piggly Wiggly, 
I don't care. You know what? You got to be smart to run a big enterprise like that. Smart enough to run a Piggly Wiggly can sit there and try to convince themselves, yeah, we're going to have a grocery store in the ghetto and it's going to be a great success. And they all know they should have known this before they went in. Listen, when this thing goes down in flames, who's going to be the one to step in front of the cameras and explain why we really had to close Piggly Wiggly? Because the Michelle Obama wannabe that's going to be reporting on that story is not going to want to hear the fact that the reason the Piggly Wiggly is down is because the fellas took it down. Nobody's going to want to hear that. And nobody at Piggly Wiggly is dumb enough to say that because they know they'll really be in trouble then. All right, let's go to another hotbed of large-scale black mob violence. Skateland Mesa in Mesa, Arizona. Our big story tonight, a Mesa skate night with hundreds of teens spirals out of control. Mesa Skateland hosted its weekly skate night for teens last night when a fight broke out between a teenage girl and staff member. It ended with officers assaulted, kids arrested, and more than 70 police officers on the scene. Team 12's Michael Downda is live at Skateland and joins us now with more. Michael. Yeah, guys, we're out here in Mason. If you turn this way, you can see a parking lot that right now is empty. But if you were here about 11 o'clock or so last night, you would have seen pretty much just police officers as far as the eye could see. And that's a troubling sight for a place that sells itself as uh, for family-friendly fun as it fell into chaos. <laughs> Why the kids were going zero to 100 for no reason. The video taken by Maria Sinkfield Moore shows the chaos. She was out with friends at a packed night at Skateland Mesa when the fights broke out. There are so many people in line and like I just had a feeling something might happen. It all spiraled out of control when, according to a Facebook post from Skateland Mesa, a girl tried to re-enter the rink after leaving. The problem that's against the policy of Skateland. And when the girl did not get what she wanted, the company says she then charged a staff member. The kids were very aggressive for really no reason. Things would escalate from there. More than 70 members of Mesa PD would respond as multiple fights broke out. In the I mean, you've heard this story before. Not in Mesa, but in skate parks all over the country. It's funny, I listened to all three or four of the local network affiliate stories on this and one was basically like nothing happened and the other one kind of gave us the big picture which is 70 cops were there lots of people were fighting they showed us videos very clear who did it this was a large-scale dangerous episode of black mob violence among the teenagers in mesa arizona and once you're done helping me figure out what's going on down there in mesa arizona you know, we can go back down to South Carolina where everybody knows this black on white violence is just a thing. Nikki Haley says, let's take down the Confederate flags. That'll improve relations between black people and white people in South Carolina. Then let's take down the statues. That'll do the trick, too. And then let's do lots of other stuff, like lots of affirmative action, lots of you know, Black Lives Matter, lots of uh, Black History Month events, lots of Kwanzaa. That will improve relations. Meanwhile, this stuff happens every day down there. Nobody really thinks it's weird. 
She was pistol whipped four times in the back of the head during a violent home invasion, and she survived. Well, now she's telling her story. You're going to only see it here on WMBF News. Patrick Lloyd spoke with the woman who's understandably still shaken up nearly a week later. Police say the home invasion happened at two houses here on Franks Lane in the Conway area of Horry County. The woman who survived the attack tells me she has no idea why the intruders picked her home, and she's glad she's alive. Very scary. I uh, to look at the into the just to look in the face of the gun, you know, having it pointed at me. Lisa Levitt is counting her blessings tonight after she survived a home invasion Saturday morning. Police say two people forced their way into the home next door to her first, where they shot the man inside. Police say that man then stabbed one of the intruders with a pocket knife. Authorities say they forced their way into Levitt's home right next door after that. She says she was in the shower. Now I'm naked. And what, I, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. Levitt says one of the suspects ripped the shower curtain off and pistol whipped her repeatedly in the back of the head. I still have the lumps. Um, thank goodness that they not cracked or broke or anything. My neck is sore. My back is sore because you got to think I drug me out of the shower onto the floor down the stairs. All right, let's head up down. Let's head down to Orlando, Florida. But really, this is a national story especially a story involving New York City. A couple of guys stole a car. These are guys with long criminal records, guns, drugs, money, bitches, and violence. They're driving this stolen car and they crash into another car and they kill an 89-year-old lady, put a couple other people in the hospital, and one of the guys is out on bail, $1,000 bail, within a day or two. And now the family of the victims are shrieking inwardly. They're shrieking. What was this guy doing out on the street in the first place? And what's he doing there now? The man accused of driving the stolen car that killed a senior is now out of the Orange County Jail. Seneca Howard posted a $1,000 bond last night on charges of grand theft auto. But neither Howard nor an accused accomplice are facing charges yet related to this deadly crash. News 6 investigator Adriana Ivashinsky has been making calls to find out why she's live at the Orange County Jail with what she's learned. Adriana. Yes, I spoke with a representative from the state attorney's office, and she tells me while state attorney while state attorney Aramis Ayala is out of town today, she will be back in the office tomorrow and is going to take a closer look specifically at this case and find out what happened and why Howard was let out of jail. And the victim's family wants to know that as well. According to jail records, 33-year-old Seneca Howard bonded out of the Orange County Jail late Christmas night after spending two days in the hospital for the crash that killed 89-year-old Sammy Lee Johnson. She was, the, she was the backbone of this family. Also inside the car, her son and daughter who survived. On Tuesday, we talked with Eric Siplin, Johnson's other son who was at home at the time of the crash, about how they're getting by. Oh, got to pick up the pieces and try to move forward. You know, I got a sister laying up in the hospital with five broken ribs, so 
try to console her and let her know that, you know, things are going to get better, you know. Now Johnson's entire family is trying to understand how two convicted felons accused of causing the deadly crash aren't facing stiffer charges. The actions just un, just un, just destroyed the whole family. We checked and court records found Deontay Slaughter was on pretrial release from a prior drug charge, but that has now been revoked and he was denied bond due to this recent charge of grand theft auto. Court records also show he is facing charges in Lake County after getting caught in a stolen car with stolen property back in September. As for Seneca Howard, he was just found guilty back in October for stealing a TV from Walmart. According to the public defender's office, even though he was ordered months of prison time, he was given credit for time served. We also learned that even though Howard has been charged with multiple felonies in Orange County, documents show the state attorney's office did not have enough information to file on two of them and chose not to prosecute Howard on three more cases he was in involved in. We are still waiting to hear from state prosecutors why that happened and why he's not being held in jail for the deadly crash. So next time you see a public official up there telling us about all the reasons they have for this black crime and violence so wildly out of proportion and then what they do is two things. One, they always say it's not happening. Two, then they tell us why it is happening. Not enough this, not enough that, too much of this, too little of that, not enough, not enough, not enough. We need more, more, more. Just, re- just think of the Stockholm Syndrome. Just think of the analyst who's now in Congress sitting at a desk saying, if we protect ourselves against the Iranians, yeah, the same kind of people who took our embassy and held Americans hostage. By the way, they let the fellas and women leave early. If we protect them, oh my God, they might get mad at us and do something. Maybe we should rename that from the Stockholm Syndrome to the Iranian Syndrome and maybe even take it one step further, name it the Fella and Lovely Lady Syndrome. Let's not do anything to stop them, arrest them, try them, convict them, sentence them to prison, keep them in prison. Don't do that. Because all that's going to do is make the black kids angry. Talk to you tomorrow. You have offended me. You have offended me. Well, the Jews, they just don't care. They've got bounds of success and refuse to share. I'll throw rocks at your children and rip out their hair. Because you have offended me. You have offended me. You have offended me. Calling fouls at a football game. I broke your job, but you're the one to blame. And I could kill you if I think you're lame. Cause you have offended me. Oh yeah. You have offended me. Many folks say that the mainstream media sucks and spreads bullshit amplified. Thank God they do it all for us, cause naive white liberals are on our side. And as the years go by, many of you will die. It's no use, it's your destiny. Stop talking about slavery Even though no one was there
you're including you and me Oh, you have offended me That's right You have offended me All together now You have offended me